0: All right, so we're looking today at why Jesus' mission should be important in our lives. Why the mission that Jesus has given us in our lives uh, to live for Him to accomplish His work in the world? Why that should be at the at the forefront of our lives, of our goals, of the way that we live our lives. Um, and we're looking at it because in the passage today that we're looking at, Jesus speaks to the disciples and he's speaking to us as disciples as well. He sends us. He sends us to do his work. And so we're going to be looking at, at, at all of that. And we're going to look at three reasons why it should be at the center of our lives. Now, I want to say this right at the outset. We're going to be talking about how God wants us to be on mission for him It'd be an easy Kind of sermon to, um, to maybe feel like you're on a bit of a guilt trip. And I, I, I am working really hard in this sermon not to put us, including myself, on a guilt trip uh, through this message because I think the reasons why God calls us to live on mission for Him are, uh, are exciting and they're encouraging. And when we really understand what God is wanting to do through us, rather than feeling guilty for what we haven't done or not living for Him in the way that we should, uh, hopefully we'll get excited about going forward and how we can, we can live for him. I hope we'll be inspired. Now, if you're not sure what it means to live on mission for him, we're going to get into that a little bit. We're not, going to, we're not going to really unpack that completely, but I think you'll get a little bit of a sense of what that is. And if you feel like it's a burden, that sounds like a burden to you. Like, I've already got so many things going on in my life. Now I, now I have to live on mission for God. I mean, we're even going to use the word missionary. Be a missionary for God. That just seems burdensome. I hope you leave here uh, with uh, a sense of that burden lifting. And that you'll, you'll, be, um, you'll be understanding how that is what real life is about. And that living for him in that way is the kind of life that, that actually brings greater meaning and purpose to our lives. So it's kind of like this, how, how I think about it. You know the song, Cats in the Cradle? If you don't, this is basically how it goes. I'm not going to sing it. It's, this is the, the basic <laughs> message. Uh, the basic message is that it's about a dad who doesn't have any time for his son. His son keeps saying, hey, let's go play ball, let's do this and that. And the dad doesn't have any time. He's got work, he's got meetings, he's got all this stuff to go to. And uh, then when uh, he finally has time, his son is grown, and the dad wants to spend time for the, with the son, and the son says, sorry, dad, I don't have any time for you. And, uh, and the, the recurring line is, you know, my boy, he's just like me. You know, he, he turned out just like me. And so, and then there's the, the line about cats in the cradle, which means, I have no idea what it means. Uh, I, it must be, it's something, it's something I have to do with little boy blue and the man in the moon, and I don't know what that is either, so, uh, all right, so, uh, here, here's, here's the thing. Um, th- I don't think the dad, uh, I, I don't think anybody listening to the song or the songwriter, I don't think you get the idea that the dad doesn't love the son. Uh, or the dad doesn't have an intention of wanting to spend time with the son. It's just the dad keeps waiting for when things slow down a little bit. And uh, when it finally slows down, that's when he finally, oh, let's, let's, let's do it. It slows down because he's old. That's why it slows down for him. Uh, because life doesn't slow down. And I think a lot of times in our lives, we think the same thing. I'll live for God when I get out of middle school. Because it's really hard to live for God in middle school. I'll live for God when I get out of high school, because it's really challenging to be a Christian in my, in my high school. I'll live for God when I get out of college, because, well, I, I want to have a little bit of fun, and whatever your reason may be. I'll, I'll live for God when I have kids, because they're going to need a church experience. I'll live for God when my kids are out of the teenage years. It's just driving me crazy. I'll live for God when my grandkids get older, and we just do it over and over and over again, and we intend really get serious about living for God and on mission for him and what that means and really changing our priorities and living by God's agenda. We, we really intend to do that, but before we know it, years and years have gone by. And so today, what I want to say is, why wait? It's never too late. It's never too late to begin living on mission for God, uh, but why waste the years? And what if you get to the end and you realize your whole life has gone by and you haven't been living for him? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at this, this idea that Jesus repeatedly says in his teaching that the good life is following me and doing what I've called you to do, what I've called you into, living on mission for me, living by my agenda, connected with me, living for me. And that is the kind of life where you live for a purpose that's enduring and a purpose that is everlasting, So, let's see what Jesus says about our mission uh, today, Uh, his mission for us. uh, He spends a lot of time talking about that, but specifically today we're going to look at what he says in John chapter 20, so please turn to John chapter 20. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the Bibles from the seat rack in front of you. It's on page 1088. And if you have a smartphone or tablet device, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. So Jesus uh, has risen, that's where we are in the story. He's shown himself to Mary Magdalene just before the passage that we're reading now, and he's about to show himself to the disciples. So that's where we are, beginning in verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week... When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, they are not believing that Jesus has risen from this. Several in there that are not believing. Jesus shows his hands and his side. He doesn't just show his hands and his side to prove that he's alive and that it's him. He shows it to say, this is what I did for you. That's a, that's a big part of what's happening here. Uh, poor Thomas wasn't in the room. <laughs> uh, there's 10 of the disciples. Judas, of course, is not there. Thomas is the only one that's missing besides Judas. And he's the one that gets called doubting Thomas for Jesus doing the same thing that he did for these guys. So um, just remember that for poor Thomas. Uh, don't hold it against him. It goes on, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There's the, there's the sending. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. All right, so verse 23. I just want to get that out of the way real quickly here. If you were listening or reading, that, that sounds kind of ominous, especially the last part. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It, it sounds like he's telling the apostles that they are the forgivers, like they can forgive or withhold forgiveness, uh, but it's not what is actually being said. Now, it's actually being said, it's pretty complicated and there's a long history on it and I'm not going, going to go into it because it would make this sermon really long. And for that, I just want to say you're welcome. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I do want to point you to where you can find answers like this. Every once in a while I, I talk about this. The most important tool you can have uh, in your you know, arsenal of tools, besides your Bible, is a good study Bible. And if you don't have a study Bible or access to a study Bible, uh, you, you need to get one. And a study Bible has, you know, the biblical text, and at the bottom it has comments on the various verses. And uh, so if you don't have a good study Bible, uh, there's a free app, and it's an outstanding study Bible, and it's called the Faith Life Study Bible. And so you can look up that app and download it, uh, and it'll have all the the comments at, at the bottom, and then um, a couple of other great ones are the Zondervan Study Bible, the new one that's come out a few years ago, three or four or five years ago, and the ESV Study Bible is outstanding uh, as well. So those are all study Bibles, and and if you go to a study Bible, you're not going to get a really full discussion on this, but if you look at this verse and then you look at the other couple of places where Jesus said a very similar thing, and you go and look at the notes there, you'll be able to get some answers to this. The uh, bottom line is, is this, uh, and everybody agrees on this, even though they may disagree on exactly how this works out. God is the one who does the forgiving. God is the one who does the forgiving. Not, not apostles, not us. Um, and, and that um, we are uh, participants, Christians are participants in his work of proclaiming forgiveness, And we are also participants in his work of helping people see the consequences of not receiving his forgiveness. So if you know that, you've got the basic uh, understanding of of what Jesus is saying there. So we're going to start with the basics here for just a few moments. Um, uh, We're going to talk about Jesus' mission for us. So after Jesus rose from the dead, one of the things that he did, he spent most of the time, we're told... In a summary statement, most of the time between his resurrection and his ascension, he spent most of the time teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, which was his major theme before his crucifixion. Kingdom of God, the rule of God. Um, how God is, is king over the universe, over our lives, over, over the world. So that's what he mostly talked about, but he also spent time talking about what's next for them and the mission that they're going to be a part of. And so each of the Gospels in the book of Acts records uh, various times where Jesus talked about their mission. And and so sometimes he's more detailed in what their mission is going to be about. So Matthew 28, at the very end, closing verses of Matthew, he gives a a fuller than the one we read here just a moment ago in John. And so, uh, for example, in Matthew 28, uh, it says... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to make disciples. That's your mission. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're going to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So you're going to teach them about my, my teachings. That's what you're going to do as you make disciples. Now in this verse, look at verse 21. This is what he says. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me so I am sending you. It's pretty simple. God the Father sent me on mission, I am going to send you on mission. Okay, so, less detail in this instance, but when you read what he says there in light of everything he says in that gospel in particular, everything that's leading to those statements, you get a broader sense as to what that mission looks like. And some of the, the parts of that mission, which is oftentimes called the Great Commission, some parts of that Great Commission are implied here. And here's here's the big idea of what our mission is, according to John chapter 20. Our mission has to do with helping others experience peace with God. It's a theme that runs through there and through the gospel. Help others experience peace with God and forgiveness of their sins through what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection. That's That's our mission. Help others experience peace and help others experience God's forgiveness. In fact, you can't follow Jesus without being sent. You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not sent. Living a mission for God in our everyday lives, at school, at work, everywhere we go, is an essential of our faith. And we're gonna talk about why that's so here. Okay, so why is it so? reason number one it's because our hearts have been synced to God's missionary heart and that's one of the major major teachings of this passage that in many ways distinguishes it from some of the other things that Jesus said about our mission our hearts have been synced with God's missionary heart something incredibly profound happens in this passage and it's really easy to miss um, but that thing is this sinking of our hearts to God's heart. When Jesus says, the Father sent him, and now he's sending them, Jesus is calling attention to the very heart of God. He's calling attention to the nature of God. And the nature of God is God is ascending God. God is ascending God. I'm going to try drive home that point. I'm going to spend almost the entire rest of the sermon talking to that point to this first point and then i'll spend five minutes on the other two points so like don't like panic when you look at your watch and go he hasn't gotten the number two yet all right so that's where i'm going to spend most of my time and for those of you who are new that means yeah just about an hour on this point and then five minutes on the other no just kidding all right so it's everywhere in the bible uh, I'm, I'm going to shorten it a little bit today, but let me, let me, just, let me just, I'm going to give you some examples of this. And let me just say this at the outset. Time and time again, when God calls people, the very first thing he does is he tells them, I'm sending you. And it's not that God doesn't want to be close to us. And it's not that he doesn't want to be close to these people. And it's not that they don't eventually connect. All these people I'm going to mention in just a moment actually have a really, really close relationship with God. But when God first calls them, It's not, hey, let's sit around, let's get to know each other for a little while, we're going to be great friends, and let's. all that's going to happen. But that's not where it starts. Because the very heart and nature of God is that God is ascending God. So you go way back to Genesis chapter 12, and you have the calling of Abraham, and Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. And the very first thing he tells Abraham when he calls him, out of idolatry, like, I am the one God, and Abraham doesn't know that. And so he calls Abraham, and, one of the, and what he says is, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the father of a great nation, so that that nation can bless the rest of the world. And twice, I mean, gets right to the commission, and twice within just three verses, says, so that you can bless the whole world. Are they going to become close? Yes, Abraham is going to trust God with his own son but right away right from the start the sending he does this because god is a sending god god calls moses he's sending him on this i mean speaking to him from a burning bush and which makes for a really nice campfire and you know god could have said let's sit around and let's sing kumbaya together and then i'll tell you what you're going to do but he doesn't right out of the burning bush the very first thing he says is i am sending you to Pharaoh, the strongest man in the land. And you're going to tell him, let my people go. I mean, it is, it's daunting. In fact, it goes on for two chapters or so. I mean, or one really long chapter where Moses says, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't. I'm no good. I mean, you know, like this. All that. And God is, no, you're going. You're sent. You're going. You're going. You're going. You're going. That's the conversation. Again, Moses is going to be a very special friend of God. Described that way. But right from the start, it's, you're going to go. Think of Isaiah's call. And the burning coals and these angels that terrify him. And it's all about sending. Not, hey, relax, we're going to get to, no, you're going to go. Think of Jesus calling the disciples. So he says uh, to Peter, he says, come follow me. And what's the very first thing he says? He doesn't say, we're going to get together, we're going to get to know each other, we're going to travel together, we're going to be best friends. No, he says, I'm going to make you into a fisher of people. Right away, because God is a sending God. The passage right before this one in John, Mary Magdalene, who is, Jesus is, is close to Mary Magdalene. She's one of the broader group of disciples. And he's very close to her, and it's like this incredible moment. You're alive! And she falls at his feet, and she holds onto his feet, like, I'm not gonna let you go. And what does he say? Stop clinging to me. Go tell my disciples. Go. It's kind of because God is a, Sending God. God is ascending God. And that's what happens in this passage as well. Um, God, the disciples, when they recognize him, he shows his hands and his feet, and they're, ready. they're overjoyed. They're ready to throw a party. But Jesus doesn't stop for a party. He says right away, he says, God sent me. Now I'm sending you. Because God is a Sending God. Now, God is also a God who loves to party, loves to have fun, loves to be with people, loves people. I mean, if you, if you think I'm exaggerating, just think of the teaching of Jesus where he tells the disciples, and he actually he's telling the Jewish leaders, he says, every time a lost person is found, there is a party in heaven between the angels and God. And so it's, it's like, God is like, I'm sending you because there is a great celebration that is up ahead, that it will happen as you go out, as my representatives, my agents, my ambassadors, as you do my bidding and you make my agenda your agenda. So essentially he's saying to this, these disciples, and every subsequent dis- disciple, including you and me, is that we are being made into, we are being called into being missionaries for Jesus in our everyday lives. Again, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our playgrounds, wherever we are, we're called to be missionaries because God is ascending God. So that happens over and over again. So look at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the meaning of what's happening there is oftentimes missed. Uh, This whole idea of sinking of our hearts with God's heart because because this passage uh, is usually, uh, if you know the rest of the story of God, you can't help but read this passage and go, What's happening here? I don't... uh, I don't, I don't quite get what's happening here because we know about Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, that's where the Spirit comes. And it's a pretty exciting story. Jesus, uh, I mean, uh, the Spirit comes on the disciples, and, and like it's all heaven breaks loose when this happens. There's all kinds of signs and wonders that happen. And there's this gathering of people, and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus that day, and the church is born. And then we hear about what that church was like, and it's a really exciting passage. So we wonder, what in the world here? And so most of the time, what people do is they spend all their time talking about how this is not that. This is, this is something else, and they never get to what this is. So we're going to stop for a moment, and we're going to get to what this is, what's happening here. Not in great detail, but uh, get the basic gist of it. Now, first off, what happens here is really weird. It is really weird. I mean, if you, if you especially... Uh, put yourself in that room. Jonathan talked about that contemplative imagination. You put yourself in, the, in that room, and you uh, you're afraid. And all of a sudden, Jesus is there, and he says, "Peace be with you." And he shows his hands and his feet. And then he says, "I'm sending you." And the very next thing he does is really weird because this is what you would see: something like this. <sighs> That's what he does. And it actually is more like, it's, it's not like under, you know, under his breath. The, the word actually probably should be translated, he blew on them. Okay, so that's, that's the weird thing. He, he actually blows on them. But it is extremely important. It's symbolic and it's extremely important. So when you see something like that, that's unexplained, what you can oftentimes do and find answers to what's going on, is you think, where else has this happened in the story of God? Where else has this happened in the story of God? And uh, it, one of the things that might come to mind is, uh, this one, most likely has come to mind if you have enough time to think about it, is what happens when, in Genesis 2, God creates humanity. He blows life into humanity, so he forms humanity, and then he, it says, he blew into them, his breath. He's giving them life. The other place where this happens, uh, another prominent place, is in Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel is taken to in a vision to this valley of dry bones, and he's told to breathe life into them. And really, it's it's breathe life, but it's kind of blowing. That's how that word would have been used. Now, interesting, too, too, to really drive this home is that the word in John chapter 20, to blow, air, is never used in the New Testament, ever. There's other words for breathing and for breathing on someone or breathing life or that sort of thing. There's lots of words for breath. This is the only time that word occurs. But uh, the, the people who would have been reading John they would have had their Bible the Old Testament as well and most of them that would have been reading John would not read it in its original language just like we don't read the Bible in the original language they would have been reading the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible which was available to them and most of the quotes in the New Testament are quotes of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible because that's what that was their their Bible so when they heard, and I, I'm going like this as if they had a book. They didn't have a book. They, they would memorize uh, large portions. They would gather together. There would be scrolls. There would be all that sort of thing. But that's what they would read. And that word, to blow breath, is the word in Genesis chapter 2. It's the same word in Ezekiel for breathing life into the dry bones. So what's happening here? What, what's, what's going on here? Um, what's happening here is that when Jesus is breathing or blowing on them, He's recreating them. He's like bringing new life to them. Um, it's, it's, it's a replay of what happens in Genesis 2. It's a, it's a do-over. It's starting over again. He breathed life into them, and essentially he's inviting them into a relationship with God, uh, that they were intended to have from the very beginning now when i say sinking of hearts here's here's what i mean we spend uh some time in our story of god experience talking about this and so if you're new with us one of the things that we do is we we love to orient people to the whole bible story all the major stories all the major people we do it in six weeks and the one story that it tells and so we have this this experience called story of god and so, if you if you would like to know more about it, write "Story of God" on your communication card, and we'll um, we'll get you more information about it. But here's um, here here's a, a, here here's the thing. us. Uh, this is what we spend some time talking about. When God created humanity, He didn't create humanity because He was lonely. He didn't create humanity because He was bored. God had everything that He needed within Himself, including community, love, everything. Uh, one God in three persons. So within God, you had three persons: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No needs whatsoever. In perfect fellowship, C.S. Lewis uh, describes described uh, the Trinity in this way. He described the Trinity as a dance with this, like, perfectly in sync. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in perfect sync together. When they create humanity, they don't create humanity to be a God, like, okay, now you're going to be the fourth person of the Trinity. But they invite, the amazing thing is, they basically are inviting God into that relationship. I'm mean, Inviting people into that relationship. And if you want to... Uh, really understand what sin is. Uh, there's a lot of ways of understanding what sin is, and, and it's almost always more than just breaking commandments or you know, not doing the thing that God told you to do, you know, that kind of a thing. What it is, is is instead of being in perfect sync in the dance, sin is becoming stationary and going, I want God to dance around me. I want other people Dance around me, and that fundamentally, as human beings, fundamentally at the very core of our being, we are very self-centered. Even when we, even when we do something good, there is a self-centeredness to it that is oftentimes like just tainting just about everything that we do. And I'm not. I'm not saying that we are only self-centered. I'm not saying that that there aren't heroic acts and sacrificial acts. Uh, that are done for other people, and that many of you are self-giving in, in many different ways, just in yourself. But what I'm saying is that at the core of our being, we have a tendency that we can give only so much, or maybe we don't give at all, and we just stop and we go, we want to be at the center, and we want everything. And that's a perfect definition of sin. We, we talk about in Story of God, kind of like if you ever saw Happy Days, in the early days of Happy Days, you've got the Fonz who you know, goes like this. And women come, and they dance around him, and he just stands there. <laughs> and that's how we are with God. Uh, in the later happy days, he starts doing this really weird Russian dance, and it's like the show's ruined by then. It's, uh, it's not right. Um, so we get, invited, uh, we get invited into that. Now, when we do that, it's, it's the mess. We make the mess that we have of the world and the mess that we have of our own lives, the messes in our lives. Now, you don't, have to be, you don't have to believe Jesus rose from the dead, and you don't even have to believe that the Bible is inspired by God to look at that and go, you know what? That analysis of humanity, that story of where problems began makes a lot of sense. You don't have to buy the whole thing to say that, because it does. It makes a lot of sense. But there's a lot of things like that that make a lot of sense in the scripture. And as we look at a God who is constantly calling us back into that dance, what we see here, this is what's happening. There's this sinking that's happening here. Jesus is blowing on them and then giving them, God the Holy Spirit, in a re-sinking, in a sense, to God. Re-sinking to his heart, to his rhythms and his desires. And God is a missionary God. He's a God that sends, he's a missionary God. And we can't be in sync with him without getting that. We need to get that, that he is ascending God. We're missionaries. So when I say living missionally is an essential of our faith and of a relationship with Christ, I mean it's part of the essence and the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be God's people filled with his spirit. So much so that to say you're a Christian but not a missionary is like saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not into the whole love thing. I'm not going to grow as a lover of people. It's totally incompatible to say that. It's the same thing with being a missionary. It doesn't make sense at all to say that. Now, this is great news. This This is the exciting part, because you are God if you belong to him, if you've put your faith in Christ, You're God's and you belong to him because of his passionate pursuit of you. Because in spite of the self-centeredness, because in spite of the rebellion against him, because in spite of the hurts and the pains that you have caused in other people's lives, in spite of all that, in spite of the mess that we've made of the world, he has pursued you and sacrificed himself for you. He has sacrificed himself to make it possible The hands and the feet the cross he has made it possible for you to be right with him and that's extremely good news we get to be a part of that kind of god and he loves us enough not to let us just continue not to just kind of you know oh yeah thank you jesus for dying on the cross for my sins now let me get back to my agenda (laughs) let me get back to my purposes you help me in my purposes See, that's that's a dead end. That's not enduring. That's not where real life is. That's like the, like the guy who has the son, and it's like, I'll have time for you later. <laughs> and he never spends time with him, and he misses out on the joy of being a dad, and we miss out on the joy of being on mission for God and living for his mission. We just miss out on all of that. Okay, that's the main point I want to make. That's that's it, so the other two points I've got five minutes uh, for, and here it is. Why is it that this is at the core, uh, should be at the core of our lives? Because what God does for us is more than personal. What God does for us is more than personal. We like to say that, uh, that becoming a Christian is about entering into a personal relationship with God through Christ. Now understand, we say that, you won't find those words in the Bible, But it's true. Okay? It's true. It's about a personal relationship with God, but it's not just personal. Our tendency is to keep it there. It's just personal. By saying we enter into a personal relationship with Christ, we're saying you can't inherit this. Your parents can't baptize you into it. You can't be born into it. You have to put your faith in Christ. That's what it means by personal. We know from the teaching of Jesus and from the emphasis on peace in this passage, just as one little example... We know that our mission is to help other people find peace with God. So um, some of you might remember uh, the show Seinfeld and the episode where Elaine is dating Putty and, and she finds that he has these Christian CDs. And then when she asks him, why do you have these Christian CDs? This is all the music you listen to. He says, well, I'm, a, I'm an evangelical born-again Christian or something like that. She goes, What? She's really upset, not because she's Jewish and he's Christian, but because he hasn't tried to convert her. She goes, don't you care that I'm going to hell? And he goes, well, it's not me going to hell. <laughs> that was his response. And that's how a lot of us think. It's like, I'm, I, I, okay, I face the consequences of not following. I'm following Jesus. Good luck <laughs> to the rest of the world. That's not, that's not the way we're supposed to think. It's, it's a hilarious scene, except for the fact that it does pretty much look like us. The piece that um, we're supposed to help people experience with God is a subset of the teaching on the kingdom of God. It's a big concept. It's Hebrew shalom. It's making things right and right order in the way that God had intended them to be. That's what that peace is about. It's, it's what happens. Peace is what happens. Not just God and me, you know, God and I are, are good. We're good. It is, it is that things are moving to the right direction. It's when the kingdom of God is on earth as it is in heaven. That's, the, that's what happens. That's peace. And so to adapt a quote from Jonathan last week, just that Jonathan used last week, um, we are not only the beneficiaries of peace, we are participants in bringing peace on earth. And that's why I mean it. Just it's at the core of our faith to, be, um, to have God's mission and to live missionally because it's not just about me. It's like uh, Mary Magdalene, it's not just about you. Let go of me. You've got a mission to do. Disciples, I know you're rejoicing. I know you want to throw a big part. It's not just about me. I am sending you. Okay, here's the last one. Missional living shapes our heart's desires. Living as agents and messengers of God's peace actually changes us. That's why God, that's part of what God is doing. He's going to use us living on mission to make us more missional in our hearts so that we're, we're synced with God. Remember, fundamentally, we want everything and everyone to serve us. And when we live missionally, we're breaking that pattern in our lives and it shapes us. It's like the story I told a long time ago about James K.A. Smith, the theologian, who is just like his doctor says, you need to lose weight and you need to get exercise. Your, your health is terrible. Your heart's not sounding good. You're, you've got problems. And he like hates exercise. So he goes out and he starts running and he hates it. But he keeps doing it day after day, and one day he looks and he goes, "I've become a runner. I've become a runner." It began to shape who he is, to the point that he couldn't go speak somewhere without taking all of his running clothes, and he couldn't have a terrible rainy day with lightning, where he couldn't go out where he didn't miss running, because he became a runner. It's the same way God shapes us when we step out of. Uh, out of the rhythm of living in our own agenda into God's rhythm, it shapes our hearts to reflect Him and to reflect His desires. Your desires will never change simply by being told, God sent you. You understand that? Just understanding, I am a sent person. That's not going to change you. God has designed you in such a way that in the very act of going, your heart is being transformed. And we're not transformed just by going. We're transformed in our worship and all kinds of other ways. But that's what we're looking at here because we're at the point in our service now where we're going to respond to what God is saying in our hearts. Our response begins here and it goes out from here. When you leave here, my final words to you from up here are going to be a sending word. It's going to be a benediction that says you have been blessed so that you can go and bless others. If you're new with us, I just want you to understand what's going to happen during this response time. We're going to respond by singing. And we're going to respond in communion. We're going to respond in prayer. So during the first song, you're going to see people getting up. You can come to the tables. or to uh, Actually, we'll have our small, some small group leaders up here. We'll, you can go to the tables in the back. And only in the back is the gluten-free, by the way, uh, today. Uh, but we invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come and be shaped by the act of remembering Jesus' body broken for you and his blood shed for you. We have prayer stations up here where you, as you light a candle, pray for someone in your life who is far from God. All this is optional, all right? We have someone from our prayer team that will pray with you back there personally. And we have a kneeling bench that where as you kneel and pray, you're being shaped by God to be his person. You're being synced with his heart. Let's pray.